0: Mike, Mike, and,
1: Oscar. and the Oscar goes to the season. And the Oscar Oscar race checkpoint. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Today's show will be a special episode of Oscar Race Checkpoint, where I, also Mike, will be joined by a returning guest host, Andrew Morgan, who will talk about the Netflix Oscar Slate because of some of the films that uh, we both saw at the New York Film Festival, so from what's on Netflix and uh, everybody's favorite new podcast, recent activity. Andrew Morgan, welcome back. Happy
0: to be here, man. It's it's been far too long. It's uh, we were just going over. I think I haven't been on since April, and that was before the both of those things that you just said started to occur. Mm. So I'm a very busy guy with the the podcast, the the play, pause, or stop article series on what's on Netflix and. Yeah, it, we had such a blast, man. I'm glad we get to kind of do the redux of this. As we said when we were sitting down to dinner, we are do- we were doing the podcast, and so now at least <laughs> we get to put it on the mics now.
1: Yeah, we are basically like, well, we don't have to do the Netflix Oscar slate extravaganza type thing, which we always do, no matter what it is. Yeah. And you've been on the show. I think you've been on the show the most still. Amanda's catching up to you, but I think you still have the most guest-hosted episodes with us. But yeah, this has like been a bizarre lapse in Andrew Morgan, Mike, Mike, and Oscar episodes because I was—I mean, it was getting to a point where, in my fantasies, people <laughs> would walk up to you on the streets and be like, uh, which, "Which Mike are you?" And just again in my delusional brain. But like, you, you were on that much. But then you've been busy. We've been crazy busy. We haven't had that many guests on our show just to, to begin with. And you guys have been—you've been getting a great. Uh, Great, you've been in the groove. Let's say you, Shane Beauregard, Chris Firdell. I love recent activity. All the horror episodes you've been doing lately with *Barbarian* and *Smile*, and and you were crushing it with *Stranger Things* over the summer and yeah. the boys. So it's been, it's been a great show. And so I mean, how how is the new you know schedule working out with you? I know you've been very busy, but it seems like you can spread your wings beyond Netflix. But you still got the Netflix foam finger in
0: the air. you're still you know you're still on the Death Star basically right <laughs> exactly I, I <laughs> you know my big thing with the nomcast is once that ended, I was like, I am not gonna pigeonhole myself. I am not doing just Netflix anymore. And then within mm-hmm. a few months I was like, hey, Casey Moore from what's on Netflix uh, <laughs> thanks for the job and now I'm writing about Netflix movies again. so, uh, can't escape it, of course um, but mm-hmm. yeah the the recent activity part at least lets me uh, put to Mike's like all the other stuff that I would try to watch and and just be cool like you and you and Mike would be like you know just <laughs> get all the Oscar stuff in, get all the the big Marvel stuff any anything that I actually want to talk about regardless of streaming service or or theaters or whatever, I can now do that so it's yeah it's very freeing and plus now yeah the added bonus of still being in the netflix game so i could be a a specialist like a left-handed reliever coming in to uh just talk netflix uh whenever you need to dial me up for those things too so it's always great i'm glad to be here for that and yeah i would be honored if i was a uh, like an honorary mike i'm trying to grow my beard out like you but it just <laughs> doesn't get nice and dark and thick like yours is so i don't know i need some uh, extra testosterone or dna or something i'm uh I'm not as manly as the mics. No, it's it's not going to be dark for much longer unless I cover it in
1: Guinness, like like I was at the uh, at PJ Clark. Yeah, very but, impressive. Yeah, we got a lot of we got a lot of stories to tell in this episode. Are a few a few stories to tell in this episode? I'm sure uh, we got four uh reviews that we're gonna attack from the new york film festival two of them from netflix hence the netflix centerpiece where we'll talk about the netflix oscar slate but we'll have white noise and descendant uh reviewed in this one and then at the end of the episode we'll talk about till which andrew saw and she said which i also which i saw and then uh Two films that we saw together: Triangle of Sadness and Corsage. If we have time, uh, at least pick your brain about your reviews of those. But yeah, this one times up well. We can do like the festival uh, finale, and we can do the Netflix talk. Uh, so yeah, let's dive in. Let's uh, for sure. Let's start. W- yeah, let's start with White Noise because this was this was the big film festival Netflix play based on. The fact that it was opening up Venice, the fact that it was opening up uh, New York. Noah Baumbach, he's been building that Oscars resume for a while. Yeah, uh, Marriage Story, the Meyerowitz story uh, stories before that. Uh, he had, I mean, the first time, one of the first times I was at the New York Film Festival, I saw Margot at the wedding mm. the Squid and the Whale was kind of his breakout. But yeah, I mean, this was this was a strange premiere. Andrew, this was a strange few days on film Twitter when we, (laughs) Uh Mike and I, watched from afar the kind of white noise layout and early reception because it was very meh, and I'm a little surprised after watching this movie and how fun and and just let's just say how layered it
0: is
1: (laughs) you can't come away with a meh review of this particular movie can we can we agree on that from the start like this is a loaded film
0: yeah it's definitely got a lot to it and it's chaotic it has a lot of influences that you can pick apart it's it's a even if you don't like it or even if you thought it's just meh Which I did also notice that, you guys who keep track of standing ovations, I did notice one review said (laughs) a tepid ovation. I'm like, what's a tepid ovation? Like, we're just golf clapping now for, for white noise. But I would say, I don't know, this movie is Noah Baumbach cashing in all his chips. Like, basically all the success he's had with his prior Netflix stuff and obviously his career before that. This is him going, I'm taking an unadaptable novel and I'm going to take all your budget money, this big budget that people talked about, <laughs> way bigger than any other Bondback project, and then just go all in and just give you all the chaos you can take um, up and down various forms. And yeah, it it was, it was definitely a sight to see. We'll get into the details. Of course, this is a lot of movie and yeah, it makes no
1: sense that you'd have a tepid applause (laughs) after new body rumba finishes up from LCD sound system after those credits. Like i am just, I'm surprised that people are even keel on this movie, like mixed, makes some sense and the sure. fact that it could be polarizing or divisive that makes some sense to me but the fact that everybody walks away like yeah yeah all right yeah uh, like there was the weirdest couple of days on film twitter i disagree with those takes i think you gotta have some serious takes about it and i i can't stop thinking about this film i can't stop thinking about the themes of it, I th- I think it's pretty easy to break those down when when you can sit with them for a bit right. and have a think, and, uh, like I have uh, post-Guinness's, post-Keyline uh, <laughs> Pie, post all the beautiful burgers that we did at PJ Clark's there. For sure. And, and, and our conversation was like the jumping-off point because we we're yeah. putting it into context of his career, and you're right, this is the cash-in. And he, and, and look, I mean, he used his chips to pull off the unadaptable and and this is so much movie in in a reasonable amount of time that i give him credit for the composition here and i know it's very episodic in the sense that we got act one the middle the centerpiece and then the third act yeah they're they're very separate but this is a cohesive movie in terms of its themes in particular for sure so i i i i want to hear you kind of just <laughs> go back to where you think this fits in bomb Back Cv because you're the expert he's he's your favorite film in uh in two of those. Uh, what is it six years that or five years of Netflix that you've been covering that you yeah. you had in your what's on Netflix article there. Like Noah Baumbach films have, have won the years yes. for Andrew Morgan. So you 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 said something about like this is not as much Myrowitz and marriage story as
0: it was Squid and the Whale for you. Yeah so I mean like, did I get that right? That's that's I guess about right or it's closer to this is definitely onto its own <laughs> because it's <laughs> In a way, in a lot of ways, I feel like the beginning of this movie is like hyper bombacism. Like it's just over talking, intellectual, conceptual, philosophical, just going, you know, with the comfort and routine <laughs> and banal trivia. It's very, very chaotic, but also, like I said, very intellectual and, and, and how it goes. I mean, I know. I'm, I'm still auditing my classes in Hitler studies, but I definitely felt overwhelmed uh, <laughs> watching the the beginning of this movie and, and all the <laughs> professor talk mixed with how the children talking here are also very professorial. So it definitely felt of a back piece. But as the movie goes along, there are Spielberg influences here. I felt like, especially in the chaos, uh, in the mm. airborne toxic event section of all right. of this, um, I mentioned to you like, I felt, you know, the end of the movie almost dips into like Cohen territory and, you know, somewhere in between you get this like odd heightened reality that feels almost Lynchian at times. So it wasn't like a straight front to back, bomb back feeling movie. So it's hard to put where this is. And to, to say your point about like people can't have middling takes on this. What I will say is my take is almost like I got the movie. Now I want to say it's almost TBD to watch this movie a sec- second time to see whether it slows down enough in certain spots for me to enjoy it more and get like my real sense of what I think of this movie. But if I had to say, you know, whatever now, I would say I enjoy his other Netflix movies above this.
1: I was definitely higher on this one coming out of it that, that than you were. And, yeah. It was a kind of watch for me that I was waiting for. I was waiting for a New York Film Festival film like this. And that's perhaps why these programmers. Scheduled it as the opening nighter because this this felt like a like a New York Film Festival film. It really did. It fe- like again, you got three distinct acts. The first act, it's just it. I mean, it's like the that's sh- 70s show twirl around <laughs> the table in the basement kind uh-huh. of thing where they're all having these <laughs> these wild conversations. And I, they're basically the same conversations. I'm not even going to say it's more high-minded than that. It's the same conversation sure. that the the kids in that 70s show were having. And then in the middle of the movie, you're right. You got the Spielbergian action adventure. And then the end is this strange turn, which I wonder if that zapped some of the narrative momentum juices or whatever. I don't, I'm not doing a good job with these <laughs> analogy. I wonder if that took people by surprise and maybe and obviously that's what the happens in the book, I'm guessing, and it's it's very it's a very literary conclusion, but it still yeah. has its own goods. That I think they deliver. Now I would wonder about the moral bankruptcy of certain characters, <laughs> and I would wonder about my co-host in particular his opinions on said people because we all He'll know that it. when he's said certain best picture winner winning films that have you know uh, rationalizations on certain characters, uh, mm. <laughs> you know criminal acts or whatever. And I'm not like you said this is unspoilable. This movie it's it unspoilable. is spoilable, yeah. but. To, you know, to give people some hints there, there might be some of that involved, but I, I do think it's a critique. I mean, this this movie is this movie is tongue in cheek for 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 a lot of its tone. And I enjoyed the elevated dialogue of kind of each of its three phases and i'm I, I like you said i'm eager to watch it again i would wonder i would wonder if this is something that could grow on its audience and specifically the oscar voter if people would be intrigued in the academy right. to give this more of a study what do you think about uh, that aspect of it do you like it's like coming away from PJ Clark's I was like I'm not sure Andrew's gonna want to watch this one again and I, I you said something to this and I don't remember what you said would you are you eager to to hit play on this when it comes on Netflix
0: I am and actually I would love to see it again in the theater like I, I, I would want to get all of it inhaled all at once again without distraction <laughs> I'd love to do that all again so that would be welcomed but Uh, To your point about like maybe the Oscar voters or how people are going to take this in because this is basically it's an overwhelming movie that has an overarching theme about the distraction from thinking about death. (laughs) You know, it's like so or it's about obsession or consumerism or religion, all other ways to distract ourselves, you know, from From death, from death, pharmaceuticals, all of the different versions that you can just do that. You know, and like I said before, with the kids, you know, the the comfort in routine and banal trivia to also not talk or think (laughs) about death. Um, So it's an interesting thing for people to take in. It's an interesting thing for people to consider and try to do any kind of deep study on it because it's almost like a, like a philosophical text in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of things to get distracted about when, uh, especially given the obsessions of these people between... Hitler, Elvis, you know, uh, uh, die, you know, like uh, the the actual airborne toxic event, like some of these uh, obsessions with, like I said, pharmaceuticals and other other unsavory things, I guess. But yeah, it's 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 a lot. (laughs) That's all I keep saying. It's a lot. So like for me, I want to see this again as soon as I can to get a real shake on it. Because the only thing that you could just chew on the popcorn and enjoy kind of for what it is, is that middle section that feels very Spielbergian. And it's got road adventures. It's got just mm-hmm. freak-out mayhem. It's got where the effects budget came in, you know, like a lot of those yeah. things. So, which is not anything to poo-poo. I think it all works seamlessly. But it's definitely the biggest thing Bombac's ever done. It's the biggest swing he's ever taken. And for that alone, if you're a fan, then... You want to watch this, and you should want to watch it more than once to really kind of let it sink in and get everything in there. But I, I as far as the Oscar thing, as soon as I was kind right. of like searching that out, oof, I don't, I don't see a path for more than a couple categories, maybe like three tops, uh, where I think maybe it can actually have some, some legs, but. We're, we have a lot of stuff yet to come out too so i wonder where those ranks are going to shift over time and i can't help but put my oscar punditing hat on here because
1: even though i would love for everybody in the academy to rewatch the you know the the deeper films and the more layered films i doubt that most of them do so and yeah. and i have a lot of evidence <laughs> to <laughs> suggest as much so A lot of the pundits right now, whether it's all the combined Oscar odds at Gold Derby to Clayton Davis and Scott Feinberg, I mean, white noise is way on the outside looking in and best picture. Right. You know, some people have it as high as 22 or 18, 25. I'm looking at oh, 13th is my highest ranking right now, but I'm still <laughs> catching up, right? Uh, I, I, you like how I put my own rankings? I do, oh, I do. All these
0: guys, <laughs> it's very, it's very bomb back. You're up your own ass already, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I, yes, I am, and I always are, yeah. No,
1: but like director, it's in the twenty. he's in the 20s, drivers in the low teens to mid teens, Gerwig is way out on some people's ballots I think some people think she's a bit uneven I would guess she's got a couple blowout scenes Cheadle's kind of consistently around 20 everywhere he's at but Speaking of those few categories for you, adapted screenplay is in the mix, yeah. I would say. Top 10s on most people's boards. This is the unadaptable novel that was adapted successfully. Let's 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 be honest, sure. even if it's a a tepid <laughs> success, yeah. it is a success. And then our original song is as high as number uh, 1 in my rankings again, yeah. put myself up there with it. No, but uh, Clayton Davis has got uh, number three, the LCD sound system song there, New New Body Rumba. And then uh, I think Feinberg's got it where? Five. So, yes, I think that song is more than in the mix. It's, it's right there. Editing, top 15. Cinematography, top 15 mm. in some places. But, look, we're not looking at an Oscar juggernaut. No. And typically if something... Or the last time something opened or was a key-featured film in both Venice and New York, that was Nomadland. And Nomadland was, of course, a major contender in all areas.
0: Sure. Yeah, I don't see—the best adapted screenplay and the song, I think, are its best chances. The one thing that uh, kind of comes to mind when it comes to the adapted screenplay thing is all the— Admiration, I will say, that people had for uh the also unadaptable apparently lost daughter that was successful mm. for them just a year ago. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal got a lot of praise for adapting that one, where they thought there wasn't a lot of story to be had there, or something at least cohesive enough to to put it onto screen. And I think White Noise might get some of that same benefit of the doubt or admiration to say, hey, this. Maybe this doesn't deserve to win, but it deserves to be in that five to show people the, the talent it takes to take this particular novel and put it to screen. So I think that definitely works. That LCD Sound System song, I, that was one of the first things I said to you outside after I was like kind of just trying to wrap my mind around the movie, was <laughs> uh, that song Slap's. It is amazing. And not only that is a lot of times we call fraud, right, with the song and the end credits, right, <laughs> where it's like, ah, oh, this is not part of the film or it's whatever. It's just kind of cheating. This put a right. whole dance routine and weird thing in yes. that. So it kind of bridges that gap of not cheating enough to kind of make it. <laughs> no, this is like almost a music video for it in its in the part of the movie, and it makes sense with the movie. So I think that helps its cause. In that regard, so I I like that. And honestly, also for Adam Driver, I mean, he should have—I think he should have won for Marriage Story that year. I I didn't fully understand why he didn't, but obviously that's way more of a showy piece. This one Mm -hmm. uh, is—he has a lot of screen time, but he doesn't—it's also very ensemble. He's not like the— focal all the time and a lot of times he's taking a back seat to you know whether it's Greta Gerwig or Don Cheadle or even his own children uh in the film at times so I think that he's not the standout but with all that said he has such a reputation and he's lost it would be so typical right of uh, he's lost or not gotten nominated for films that i think he absolutely should so why not the one where i think he shouldn't uh in a weak year where this one i think this year for best actor is very top heavy like there's a solid probably top three and then like a couple of spots seem to be wide open at least at the moment you know of course but uh, i i would say when you have netflix behind you i never am shocked when something just pops up because they put their weight behind
1: it. I do think Driver probably leads the industry in numbers, sheer quantity of pundit uh, inclusions, Mm -hmm. like mid-year of uh, of oscar predictions like he's got to have the most over the last three or four years yeah he's the male sir sharonin isn't he he's everywhere so early and and look he's gone the distance as 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 a nominee mm-hmm. uh several times lately but he's just having a hard time breaking through in the winner's circle but like from an, i mean last year he had a great year annette house of Gucci, these movies were good. He's been having one great year after another, and this is a terrific performance. That if people study, he's doing a lot, and he's all. This is not his showiest. Of performances at all. No, he's really being an actor's actor in this, and I, I respected the hell out of him. And and again, I kind of respect the hell out of this movie for giving us such <laughs> a unique experience. And it won over the curators. That's what we know now. So yes. here's what I'm looking out for. Here's what I'm looking out for. The curators went with this movie. They knew that Bomb back and and Bombac's White Noise was gonna be bankable, and on the short list of bankable films that you're bringing into your film festival two of the biggest festivals decided to lead with this one right. and and that that says something i wonder if expectations were too high so i do wonder mm. if after the public gets hold of this if the reception can brighten a bit because white noise is also playing festivals it's going to have a ramp up uh, in terms of a platform release we know it's over a month long from netflix so, which yeah, I'm going to ask you
0: about next. It's not playing until uh, the end of December, so on Netflix. So, like it's December right. 30th or something. As has quite a ramp up, yeah.
1: It's got plenty of a, of a, a chances to grow a grassroots campaign. So, if it gets some award season luck from certain critics associations or whatnot. Where I think this is a film you can get behind passionately. Yeah. At least I I have a strong grade for it. It's B plus eighty eight for me, and and I want to see it again. I, I know you're probably a little bit lower. I am. Uh, would Would you grade this one for me?
0: Yeah, I'm probably a a B, but like maybe a lower B right now. Like I'm just mm-hmm. I'm not overly sold. I'm intrigued. I liked the themes that they were going with, and a lot of the thing. Uh, there were no bad performances. You're always engaged with the story, and I think that's what you were trying to sell me on a little bit when we were talking after the movie was you're never bored, and this movie is not short either. Uh, It's probably, what, close to 2.15, 2.20? So that that is a compliment onto its own. Uh, One other thing about Adam Driver, too, think of it because you kind of brought it up uh, what he had last year or the years before. He always Mm -hmm. has, and I said this the last time I think I was on the show— He always has three or four movies going on, and he always kind of has to split his kind of campaigns. The fact that he gets to do one movie and just literally drive it home. He should have that T-shirt. Just drive it home. Just one movie, (laughs) just putting it right out there, you know, Mm -hmm. and and hope with, again, the Netflix engine behind him that maybe he can sneak in. I don't think he has a chance to win. I don't think he has a chance in hell with the, you know— Brendan Fraser being no, every no, article no. on Variety and Hollywood Reporter and then right behind it, you know, performances. But could he sneak in as everything. a nom? Totally. I, yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: All right. Well, let's I mean, if, if White Noise is not going to be the number one player in the Netflix Oscar slate this year, I, I do want to build up. In terms of that conversation to your big three, you know, you wanted big three every year Every year we did this. What's the Netflix big three? I don't know if we're going to have necessarily that conversation, but I do want to kind of round out the Oscars slate. But to segue, let's discuss some latest Netflix Oscars buzz and the big story that Mike and I kind of bumbled and I muttered about. for like way too long of a box office report segment. And I don't know if I made any sense while doing so, but (laughs) essentially Knives Out 2 is going to release in 600 theaters over Thanksgiving week. Now, 600 theaters is an interesting number. Yeah. Because 600 theaters could mean 600 screens or it could mean 1,200 screens. Right, We, We don't know. Typically a wide release is like 33,000 screens, somewhere yeah. around that, right? So we don't know what that screen count is going to be, but Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery could do some sizable business over that week-long span. We just saw the Avatar re-release number at 10 million. Right. I mean, that's a that's a comp that I could see as, uh, as reasonable for Glass Onion, being that it's going to be out a full month before it releases on Netflix. So... I'm very curious to know what you make of this theatrical rollout strategy by them. Is this innovative? Do you think this will eventize Glass Onion? Do you think it will take away from the Netflix streaming numbers that they need? How do you how do you make how do you make sense of this from them?
0: Well, it, this is not a typical from. From Netflix, a lot of times they like to do the one week, maybe a couple week rollout of a film of theirs before it comes out on Netflix because Mm -hmm. Netflix is notorious for like having some marketing to try to uh, put out their films, but not a lot. And I think what they've kind of rationalized, especially on films that might be in the Oscar conversation, that have to abide by the Academy rules and everything and be put in theaters is Mm -hmm. putting it out in the theaters is their marketing strategy. They're hoping that enough people see these films out in the theaters to Mm -hmm. kind of have this slow grassroots word of mouth, extra little piece on top of their standard marketing practices. But the one about this one though, is that I thought because it being a sequel to a critically and financially successful film that I thought they would have extended it more and treated it maybe like, I don't know. Power of the Dog seemed to be out for quite a while. I know blonde uh, around here, at least uh, has been in some theaters for like three, four, five weeks at this point, which is absurd because it's been on the platform already (laughs) and it kept going. So, Uh, That's an interesting one, but I thought, especially because they're more about profitability these days over subscriber growth, that I thought this one, being a very particular case, being a sequel to something that's already successful, which they don't really do, uh, they've never really had this type of movie in their hands before, I thought they were going to cash in on this one and treat it more like, Uh, How an HBO Max, like a Warner release, DC movie release would be or something where, Mm -hmm. you know, it would be out in theaters and then within 30 to 60 days, then it's on Netflix exclusively, you know, where you're not going to have it anywhere else and it's not going to go anywhere uh, for an extended period of time based on. Uh, whatever agreements they have. This one, they have total exclusivity, of course, and, and have all the sequels lined up. So I thought not only as a favor or a nice thing for Ryan Johnson, but I also thought just to make some money back because they're all about profitability, I thought they were going to do more. So this is a little shocking, but if they think they can make, I don't know, what, 10 million? Uh, if I, well, at most, five to 10 in that week and then call it a day, that's not a bad chunk of change, I guess.
1: I, I I think it's more about the perception of it would be my guess, and was what I was mumbling and bumbling about <laughs> when I was talking about it. But yeah, I I'm not I'm just not sure what to make of that theater count and like where like I'm not a yeah. box office student enough of a box office student to just understand like oh well a good week for 600 theaters is x amount of dollars. Sure. Or, I mean because Parasite. Was in a couple of theaters and make made like six million right in that one weekend when it when it, when it was really rolling yeah it was like in ten me it was ten theaters but how many screens were showing it in those ten theaters and I had the highest gross count per theater average right and whatnot but so I mean you could come out limited or you can come out. Uh, in the case of like love actually which I did research mm-hmm. and you can do you could do 50 million in a week but your screen count is gonna skyrocket because once the theaters know you're making money they're gonna yeah. double the amount of screens of course that they're showing it on anyway so I'm very curious if glass onion will get crowds because that's one thing because even if it's in X amount of theaters will crowds of people go and enjoy a big theatrical whodunit right on a big screen like that a month early. And therefore, if you have a happy buzzy theater and we've heard the receptions from the film festivals on glass onion, being very positive, be you know, people had a good time for sure. Yep. Then this could be like what Knives Out was three years ago—the talk of the dinner table conversation for some people. That's exactly cinephiles' it. families. Yeah. So, so that's marketing in its own right. That's word of mouth. That's what you want if you're Netflix. However many uh, people actually you know pay a ticket price, who cares? What they really want is for people to watch it on Netflix still
0: yeah correct yeah and but i will say that i know i looked up the screenings in in that week or whatever uh looking to see it early myself and that wednesday good. night a wednesday night early release on a like a seven fifteen show at my local theater is almost all sold out really so oh, like all the good seats good. anyway so and i it's not like they put it out very well they're like oh yeah glass onions come have you seen it you know like a lot of commercials a lot of things like oh it's gonna be in theaters for a week not really so this is just sheer word of mouth and they're getting some not crazy but i said to some of my co-hosts i may have even said to you cinephiles and old like the elderly crowds who love a good Agatha <laughs> Christie or some version thereof that this is kind of the new you know neo version of that this could do some bucks for during the day and at night and especially if it's only a week people put that priority in obviously maybe an older crowd maybe doesn't have Netflix uh, so maybe that that this is their opportunity and they're gonna do it so I wonder what that <laughs> number can look like because it's if if those two sets are all in that they want theatrical mm-hmm. for this, I think it could make a surprising amount of money. But obviously, a lot of people have Netflix, and this isn't a, a big showy picture. You know, some CGI fest or any of that stuff. Something to where you want a particular audience reaction. So maybe this is a wait for Netflix picture too. So. I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to cover that I don't know how to make a, a prognostication <laughs> on that one but I'm actually optimistic based on what I've seen already in the pre-sales
1: uh, me too and I'm glad I rephrased the question in that case but yeah the older audiences have come back and they've made hits out of everything from Top Gun to Crawdads this uh and this dog, past year, or so. whatever
0: that dog movie with uh Channing Tatum
1: <laughs> dog was good though that <laughs> maybe I'm just an old fogey at heart maybe I thought dog was very good but all right so that's that's a fascinating item to watch on the movie calendar uh, going forward. Another one is how Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio continues to play. And you were texting me the other day uh, <laughs> the results of the letterbox rating yeah. after Pinocchio's Film Festival debut in London, where it's a hit and, and where it gained 10 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes that are all – uh, positive, 100% fresh, and uh, Pinocchio has a 92 meta score from critics after first blush.
0: Insane. What do you make of this? And not only that, Mike, because yes, I did text you <laughs> going like 3.9 on Letterbox. Let's f and go, <laughs> you know, all in like big you know exclamation points and caps. So yeah, I'm into it. And on top of it, and I, not that you want this, but I was very moved by uh, Del Toro uh, saying that he dedicated sure. the movie to his mother, who literally passed away the day before the screening yeah, in London. Yeah. So a lot of emotions. I'm obviously mm-hmm. uh, encouraged by what people think about the the film itself, but man, I I want to know just how different this is. And obviously by all rights of the early looks at this film, it seems like a very different uh, interpretation of Pinocchio. Sorry, Tom Hanks and, and, and Robertson. So. I'm sure it's the wild, like, for two source materials being the same, this couldn't be any different. And I love that, obviously, the uh, the Disney version got panned to kind of clear the way for Del Toro to kind of just be like, no, no, no. I love this story since I was a kid. My mother and I, we both bonded over it. And his version of this, like, leaning into how he looked at the world being exactly like Pinocchio's and everything. He's Mm. saying all the right things, and obviously the product is kind of selling itself at the moment. So, man, very encouraging to see how that plays out as we get closer. Um, But uh, this, what do you think as a product that has already been out for ages of its (laughs) chances, even if it's a kind of a redux version of how, like with West Side Story kind of like having this, success last year can this be in that oscar conversation while being this kind of quote known product i do believe that guillermo del Toro is one of the true
1: academy favorite personalities out there yeah. we, we saw it last year with how they campaigned the nightmare alley yeah. right they like nightmare alley was a flub in theaters yeah and yet it got, a, it got a late push. It got all the, the galas. It got all the extra screenings with the academy members. Yeah. And you had Guillermo del Toro performing the circuit, and nobody knows how to do it better than he does. Absolutely. So that matters. The fact that there's an honest-to-goodness emotionally devastating narrative now involved is also a factor. Let's be honest. I mean, it's it's sad to say it, but it's true. And then you have him doing what he is known for, and that is being meticulously just dedicated to telling his story. And even his, I don't want to say flops, but even his disappointments, box office disappointments have been regarded as artistic achievements of the highest level. Yeah. Yeah. With the Hellboy sequel, with the with the freaking Lord of the Rings storyboards for Christ's yeah. sake, Guillermo del Toro is beloved, and and he's beloved as an artiste with an e at the end. And so I, I I do think that matters. I think that's going to play on the uh, the animated uh, feature branch for sure, especially in a year where that's that's been wide open forever. Yeah. So Netflix could really swoop in and take that award for certain. But I'm seeing. I mean, we'll go over in a few minutes, but I, I'm seeing best picture buzz for Pinocchio, mm. and that that was before. Right. That was before this an immediate reception. So I, I think it's real, and I think I think that this movie, if it continues to get uh, dazzling reviews uh, and it's getting the late breaking push at these fall film festivals, it, it matters. It really does. So that's it's it's quite the journey. For Netflix's Oscar slate, if we all come back and it's Pinocchio. But uh, the the last point I'll say, if it's if it's a contrast to that cacophony of fuck shit nonsense that came out on Disney Plus, that's also (laughs) that's also a good a a dimension that they want at Netflix. So that's good. It's a good comparison. Yeah. Um, Let's move on to another film that is gaining momentum, I would say, with its film festival runs, and that's All Quiet on the Western Front. That continues to impress. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, 74 Metascore. It's another film that may get Oscars buzz, that may get lead actor buzz for Felix Kammerer. What are you hearing about All Quiet on the Western Front? I I know you're probably slated to watch this pretty soon as well.
0: Yeah, because it comes out uh, in about a a little over a week, I believe, uh, as we're recording today. So, yeah, definitely Mm -hmm. coming up. I I haven't seen it quite yet, but definitely I've heard encouraging things about this for about a year. People have Mm -hmm. been really high on this and all – uh, you know, especially uh, as you mentioned, if it has best actor buzz, it's not for the person you think, because I know uh, Daniel Bruhl is like the only real, like known, known actor Ameri- to audiences. Yeah, to American that's audiences here, right. So that'll help. But obviously name recognition, I think, will help to have people watch this more than you think for being a foreign entry on Netflix. But I'm always encouraged by by Netflix's foreign war movies. They've done actually really yeah. well. One of the other uh, ones of this year I know that is uh, higher rated than most Netflix originals is The Bombardment. Uh, that did really well. They had a few in the last couple of years that have been some of my higher film ratings uh, as well. These kind of like smaller stories from like the, and, the big world wars. So, yeah. I, I, yeah, and I tell you what. I was not going to watch Munich, Munich The
1: Edge of War until your 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 uh, review of it. Yeah. I think it was – I. And, and uh, you, yeah, you told me you, uh, you sold me on that. And I and there's actually some great performances in that, by the way, there too. really is. They nailed that.
0: Yeah. But I love the forgotten battle. That was a year ago, too. So they have a lot of films in their war stuff that I'm always encouraged. And this one is the most talked about one I've seen yet. So the fact mm-hmm. that it has potential Oscar buzz and the only problem with this i guess is obviously the same thing i said about pinocchio where you're concerned about the voting being kind of split because you're doing a remake or reimagining i guess this one's closer to the novel we've heard that version before but netflix i don't know if they're going to put more weight behind bardo than this Mm -hmm. anyway um but obviously we'll see how that all shakes out but i believe they're both official uh selections at this point from their respective countries correct yes
1: Yes, they are Germany uh, for all quiet, and then yeah, Bardo from Mexico, and yeah, I, I'm not sure. Bardo, I think is it was backpedaling for a minute there. They cut 22 minutes, yeah, uh, off the off the uh, Venice release cut, and then they marketed it very well. Bardo's trailer was a joy for Mike and I yeah. to, to review. I enjoyed too, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. But like the stock up options right now. Uh, from the Netflix Oscar slate are Glass Onion coming out of TIFF. Yep. It's Pinocchio coming out of London. Yep. And it's all quiet on the Western Front, which is playing well wherever it goes. And I bring that up because like Netflix is, is making plays in the picture categories. And a year where they did fall out of some of the races, I would say, by moving Rustin yep. off the slate, by moving Shirley off – by maybe never having the killer on the slate, yep, or moving it off, depending on who you believe. David Fincher takes a while. <laughs> they to do, do things, but, yeah, a
0: lot of takes. But <laughs> they
1: now, but they now, as we segue into the next segment here with Descendant, they now have players in animated feature. All Quiet on the Western Front. We'll get to Wendell and Wild and some of their uh, their other players in, in each of these categories. But I think they have major players. In all four categories now, even if they don't have the best best picture frontrunner like they did last year. But Descendant is another one of those in in documentary feature. So you got to be feeling a little better overall, no?
0: Yeah, I think it's another, you know, we've always dialed up this thing. A ton of nominations and not a lot of wins. Hmm. I I don't even know if the a ton of nominations sentiment is correct. I mean... Well, you
1: have a greater chance at that now than you perhaps did... 3 weeks ago.
0: Yeah, I'll agree with that. And honestly, uh, we I've kind of I've probably said to you multiple times this year, what have you liked? What have, what are your things because I think this year, <laughs> obviously everything is very backloaded in terms of the release schedule post the 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 fall film schedule and everything we're all gonna get murdered with how many things we have to watch in november and december right especially (laughs) now that babylon (laughs) got moved up to let's let's all make mayhem (laughs) happen for for that (laughs) thank you to babylon for that but yeah there's definitely so many things that we have to watch between now and then so the picture will become clear but what i've seen out of the fall film festivals even just to add more to the fire not a lot of stuff is getting like complete backing you know like some of these films uh, and some of these film years of the past and right now I don't have a ton of stuff that I've given say above like four stars or above for the entire year thus far and we're in Mm mid-October Mike that's not a a great sign so anything that's getting buzzed that I haven't seen I still have to hold out (laughs) hope that it's like maybe that's the one that's gonna take charge at some point
1: or we could just give everything to Top Gun Maverick like like we should, like a just
0: society would right. do and yeah. no and yeah. people get on. How me for dare that, you? But that's fine. It w- it made a lot of money, Mike. <laughs> of course not. What is wrong with you? That it it already won. Isn't that the, the tagline? Isn't it that the bumper was sticker?
1: <laughs> the coolest. It was the coolest freaking movie since nineteen eighty six. Yeah. I'll s i will I will die on that hill. <laughs> I don't care. Yes. But look it. Let's go to play to volleyball. To get back. Buddy. <laughs> to get. Or or, or dogfight football. Yeah. Dogfight exactly, football. Yeah. Just absurdity. Complete absurdity. But all right. Descendant. The, the weirdest transition ever because this is a deadly serious movie <laughs> yeah. and a and a really good one because I just rewatched it last night. Uh, I re- I saw it at Sundance. It was one of those movies where I was dealing with a crisis, an email crisis, while I was trying to play hooky and watch Descendant, right. which was a terrible decision. So I refused to review it back then because I just I didn't do my homework. I didn't do it correctly. Right. I've rewatched it. It does me- it does cast a spell on you. This film, mm-hmm. especially once you get to know. The characters, which I think is the strongest point part, absolutely. Like, this is an ensemble of real life uh, members of this community who are were hunting for the ship, the Clotilda, the last uh, slave ship known uh, to be still working in the United States beyond uh, when it was supposed to be. But the descendants of the Clotilda and certainly uh, of the area were, were just sleuthing for this for this ship forever. Yeah, and. It's an amazing story of how this community comes together to remember their history, good, bad, and, and certainly ugly. And you had the uh, privilege to sit in on the Q and A with a lot of these a lot of these subjects in in attendance, and certainly with a lot of the filmmakers. So please, yeah, share your experience there. You guys were at you guys were at Francesca Beale, correct? Which is a nice a really nice little theater there at Lincoln Center. I love that theater.
0: Yeah, a small intimate theater, but of course, uh, uh packed on a, on a Sunday night. Very, very good. Encouraged to see that of course. And yeah, they had, uh, at least three or four people from the, the story itself on top of the, uh, the director, Margaret Brown on that as well. So yeah, I agree with you. A very important story, something that I would say the first 20, 30 minutes, it, fell into that category that you guys love to say that it's vegetables right where it's a lot of a lot of important things to say a lot of history Mm -hmm. to go over and you're you're going into is this going to be all about the boat you know is it going to be all about the dive to try to find this however it goes but what i liked about it is that about 20 30 minutes into this movie and actually is uh, a line in the trailer too is especially the younger generation there And some of the people who have suffered from some of the other themes in the movie, which I'll get to in a sec, they're like, this isn't about the boat. I don't care about the boat. Let's talk (laughs) about what's happening now. And maybe what the boat or what that who's responsible for the boat is still haunting us today. That's more of a story that I enjoyed in this particular movie more than anything else, because the way it kind of unfolds is that you're seeing. It's the it's the worst thing in the world that this guy basically right. made a bet, uh, essentially to say like, oh yeah, you want slaves? I'll get slaves. This is way after the slave trade is supposedly done and over, and mm-hmm. he manages to get one floating in there, and then essentially, unfortunately, you know, sinks the boat right there, and and no one's ever seen it again. So it kind of gets lost to history and everything else. But mm-hmm. it's the arrogance of this particular person. And then obviously the how low people were still thought even post-slavery of of the African-American community in that region. Mm-hmm. And I I really like that uh, they make the parallel of that particular family that was responsible for, for that boat also is responsible for the industrialization of that area that's giving cancer to uh, a lot of people in Africatown, uh, a lot of right. the residents that are right there and kind of like – Circling that area and just bombarding these people with chemical issues, breathing issues, everything. And the main character that works for me in there is a, a young woman who's, she just recovered from cancer. She's young enough to like be like, we need to care about what's going on here right now. This boat is not going to change basically anything for us. And I love that the younger community is also like, great, if we find this boat, let's be in charge of it as a community, Let's not Mm -hmm. let the the white governor who's tied to uh, a lot of this stuff, let's not get the the people, the larger families, the white families of the industry to kind of be in charge of the tourism of this whole thing. Let's make this all about our community and propping ourselves up, and let's not let anybody else be able to tell our story. And I was so encouraged by that, and I can feel that in the room when they were doing the Q&A of this kind of just – Rallying behind it and making the most out of this moment, even though it's a a harsh thing in this particular story. Historical applications—that's yeah.
1: like the buzz. That's the buzzword phrase for me. Like you take this history, and you learn not only you you learn from it a- about your past and discover things about yourself, but more importantly, you discover a relationship between. Uh, and in among, amongst your own community that has uh, lasted until this day and you use it as a call to action and that when this movie becomes more about the present times and when this movie tilts towards the ensemble yeah. uh, of subjects here i it really got going so you're you're right i think you know the first 15 20 minutes it's it's a painful it's a painful documentary about uh, about uh, the most painful time in American history, for certain. For sure. And then it really picks up. So I was uh, I was very impressed with Descendant. I'm glad I got the chance to rewatch that. What Ida and speaking of uh, documentary awards bodies, the Critics Choice Documentary Awards have nominated Descendant for. Three of the biggest awards: documentary feature, best documentary feature, best director, and best historical documentary. So that matters. We have some some interesting snubs. Uh, Senior was snubbed out of the the Big Ten. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed retrograde. I'm shocked uh, at at those snubs, especially when I was looking at the momentum, but Aftershock, Automat, Fire of Love, Gabby Giffords, Goodnight Oppie, The Janes, Moonage Daydream, Navalny, Sydney, and then like I said, Descendant, those are the 10 in uh, the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards major category. So that's got to be a bummer in one sense. Netflix is used to getting more than that, especially in the big category. They've been going for documentary feature of late. They still got a couple of players in senior, in descendant, uh, certainly in a few films that we'll mention in a minute. uh, With uh, freedom, well, I'll mention them now: Freedom on Fire, uh, the uh, the Ukraine documentary, and then In Her Hands. Both recommended by Scott Feinberg. Oh, one more is that black enough for you? That also played at the New York Film Festival. So they got a slate mm-hmm. in documentary feature here.
0: But uh, you know, the early buzz is that Descendant is is a fixture in a lot of fives. And Mike, you know for certain too, because uh, one of the one of the early reviews, and especially during the pandemic, we we covered Crip Camp, and one of the biggest thing about that is that the Obamas mm-hmm. seem to not miss. Do they? So whenever oh. they get behind it with their higher ground productions, uh, and Descendant mm-hmm. happens to be one of those between Netflix and the Obamas, it's a it's a big one-two punch when it comes to award season. So I could see this absolutely getting nominated. I don't know where this this branch, like you know, is notoriously mm-hmm. uh, fickle. Things don't seem to add up um, <laughs> as far as like the nominations, and then. Uh, You know, once the the five is set, then it kind of rises to a popularity deal. See my octopus teacher for that. But um, but (laughs) as far as nominations, I could still see this this type of film being successful, even though Crip Camp didn't work out as well as they hoped. But it was definitely in a lot of these conversations until the very end. They've already knocked off the front runner
1: from the critics choice. segment of all this thing now look i mean 40 percent is the crossover from all these prerequisite award shows both ida and critics choice docs included so don't go nuts people but the fact that yeah the fact that the venice winner all the beauty and the bloodshed and the new york centerpiece was snub that the Critics Choice Documentary Awards is a veto. It right. is a veto and we'll see how that goes going forward. So maybe Descendant is actually sitting in a good spot. It's included, but it's not sensed to be the front runner. Yep. You'll have <laughs> the former president and first lady campaigning for it. Yep. You'll have the might of Netflix. So hopefully that happens for it. But I right, look let's uh, let's finish up the Netflix uh, segment here by kind of just going over what we're looking at in terms of the overall slate you, you mentioned Bardo. I wonder if Bardo is kind of disappointing Netflix at the moment. But 18th in Best Picture, 10th in Director, in Ritu. there. They, they probably hoped for more with Bardo. But it does appear as if Glass Onion, All Quiet on the Western Front, and Pinocchio are on the rise in the Best Picture category. White Noise. Bardo kind of have a puncher's chance, I, could, I would say. In terms of uh, actress, Ana de Armas is probably their best bet and in, in lead. Yeah. In terms of actor, Mr. Jimenez Cacho, Jimenez Cacho, there. Not Adam Sandler is probably the best bet in, <laughs> in lead actor. Janelle Monet, I'm curious to see if she's going to get the popularity vote because apparently she's a rising star. It's certainly a star-making performance in Glass Onion. For sure. I would doubt Eddie Redmayne in supporting, but that's a big name in the supporting category. Still, I mean, Don Cheadle, it's a fun performance. I, I doubt he'll be Oscar-nominated from White Noise. Yeah, I don't think so. Adapted screenplay, Glass Onion, White Noise, All Quiet on the Western Front, Pinocchio, all in the top 11, all in the top 11 on Gold Derby's combined rankings. And then Bardo's uh, ninth in original screenplay. But that's not typical Netflix. Netflix is all over the fives in everybody's projections at this time of year yeah. in typical years. I-, I will say Pinocchio is two in an animated feature, Wendell and Wilde is three in Clayton Davis's. Internationally, you have Bardo and All Quiet on the Western Front, like we talked about. And then in a lot of the crafts and a lot of the techs, you have Netflix films, Bardo 7th in Cinematography for Clayton. Original score, they have White Noise and Pinocchio. Uh, RRR is number one in in original song, uh, Natu Natu, and White Noise is number five for Clayton. So I do think we're going to have plenty of Netflix nominations. It may not be up to the number they're accustomed to, but they're in the mix. But this is not your typical Netflix field at this time of year. Do you think this is going to come back... With glad with with movies that are on the rise, do you think that these movies are going to play well? If you had to bet right now, and you're going to get your typical nomination haul at the very least, or do you think this is going to be a major un- underperforming year? Uh, putting you yeah, on the spot, I know. But I, I have to. I have to as a pundit. I have to do it because it, it's looking like to me like this. This is going to be a year where they're they're underdogs for once. Yeah,
0: it's an it's an odd year. When normally, like you said, they're they're at least having one two, sometimes three uh, being mentioned in the top ten for best picture, getting in there, and then having some smatterings of uh, awards players between you know all the the major actor players and director and all the all the other stuff there. But in a way, we're going old school Netflix, right? We're going mm-hmm, full mm-hmm. full court press on documentary feature. Uh, and especially going with the Obama stuff, you know, American Factory being, you know, they have a legacy of winning documentary feature once they're in that conversation, and especially once they secure a nomination, right? So that is definitely old school, something that no, Netflix does very well almost every year, except for last year, I believe. They didn't have anything, I believe. But as far as what they've really committed to, Uh, is actually what we're starting to see right now, where they're committing to trying to get franchises. They're committing to trying to get popular uh, releases, something that's going to increase the subscriber growth. But while also still possibly being in the conversation, uh, some of the Mm -hmm. Sony stuff from last year really helped them uh, with the animated feature stuff. I thought Mitchell's versus the machines was going to be a winner. And uh, unfortunately, it did not last year. But what I would say is that this year, they could have three potential animated feature nominations. And I wouldn't be shocked because I'm still here, Mike, from earlier in the (laughs) year, just banging my hand on the table going, give some respect to my father's dragon. This is Cartoon Saloon. They are always in the mix. They've won before. Do not get blinded by the fact that they're on the come up. You know, once that movie starts to circulate, that could be a thing. And to add to Wendell and wild and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio You know, Apollo ten and a half didn't get in, so that's on the wayside, but they could have had even more inclusion. And a lot of people like Sea Beast more than I did, but at least that was in a in a conversation too. And we haven't said a word about Disney's entries and everything else. So it's a pretty Mm -hmm. pretty stacked category, but I think Netflix has almost the better slate side by side with Disney Pixar. So I don't know. This is a it's a very interesting year, but I definitely don't see the major categories being as flooded with netflix nominations as we thought
1: well i'm thrilled that you brought back my father's dragon onto my radar even if the oscar pundits aren't treating it with the proper respect it deserves and uh i'm thrilled we could do this Uh, we did a bad job in terms of time management Even though we said we were not going to do the Netflix stuff for as long as it takes, but it it takes that long, it just does, it right? Does. I mean, then an Oscar slate conversation. But let's do some lightning round reviews to take us out of here. Sorry, Mike, in the editing room, but we'll <laughs> let, let's review Till. Let's review She Said, and let me get your thoughts on those other two movies real quick. But Till, I mean, you, you were there uh, opening weekend at the New York Film Festival for it, and you saw, I think, the the second screening, correct? And on Saturday, yes, correct, which uh, I mean, an emotional movie to start your day your, to start your four films that day. Correct.
0: For sure. Yeah. I, I, yeah. First of four, 11 o'clock in the morning, Alice Tully Hall, you know, the, the grand place to see a movie. So oh, yeah. and I had excellent seats. It was a it was a, a great experience, even though obviously this movie is very heavy in terms of the subject matter and everything else. I would say, you know, of course, the story is a parent's worst nightmare, right? It's the it's, you know, you try to let your your children grow and and blossom and become their own people. And then, of course, the minute you let your guard down and try to assume that the world will not consume you whole, it does. And so so all the emotion that that story can carry is in here. The tough part, you know, I I will say, Mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned, you know, the the lead performance here for best actress being in kind of the top five. I enjoyed her. I I enjoy enjoyed is also Mm -hmm. hard, too. But I think she did a, a solid job. Some of the scenes did. I don't know. I think didn't do her any favors, but I think that was a more or less a, a construction thing more than like a performance really, thing. Really. So I, I said this to you where it's like some of the more hype, hyper emotional ones, the over the top ones kind of uh, turn me off slightly, especially when the story is very compelling okay. like this, but I can see that performance getting in there and uh, in, in how this year is shaking up. But I don't know for me right now, she would not make my top five, but the I would say uh, it's still a solid performance. Um, I enjoyed the score. It lifted the film in a lot of those emotional things, so it definitely, I, I had that pretty high in terms of this particular movie. And some of the, the things that stood out for me were like the culture of hatred and violence that was so pervasive and so immersive into the into the period was even when no white people were in sight, that the mm-hmm. conversation still turn like inward to the, to the African-American community and kind of saying, why didn't you use your gun? Why didn't you shout for help is just as important as any point to drive home because it's a culture of fear, of retaliation, of things that can happen to you. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what this uh, story is all about, unfortunately. And some of the, the tougher scenes to watch is when the children who were with Emmett Till Um, who witnessed everything that happened, uh, are so scarred and so damaged. And some of those conversations with his mother really were some of the things that hit me the hardest. So it's a a good film. I don't know at this point whether it's – I think it's right on the outside looking in on Gold Derby and some of the other ones. And I kind of agree. I don't think it's as – as high as, as it maybe will be at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to be a huge Oscar player, but I could definitely see the the lead performance there for Best Actress being the so biggest contender. Daniel Right, exactly. exactly, yes, Daniel Deadweiler.
1: Well, that, that's, that's a little surprising because I thought it was gaining some momentum, and I, I knew a lot of people were worried that it was going to—I I guess you can't lean anywhere else but the, the pain and anguish for a certain segment of the story— did you think it got beyond the events and, and more into the activism as the trailer promised? Could, is there is there enough of a hopeful message for the back half of this film?
0: Yeah, until? I mean, yeah, her activism is brought up, but it's brought up quite late, so it's not as much of a main focus. There are a lot of conversations okay. trying to bring uh, that character along into the limelight to, to really stand up and, and be... A larger fixture and be a symbol for how awful things were in that area, especially that time of uh, our American history. So, uh, it's 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 tough. Some of those moments didn't work for me too. Towards the end, I thought they felt less cinematic, less emotionally impactful. They were just kind of laid out there. They're important to know, but you know, with any kind of biopics like this, the dance is going. Between how impactful, how how moving, how cinematic can you make something that where it separates itself from being a Wikipedia entry or a, a TV movie or something like that? Because you know it's such a fine line between saying something like like I liked Mudbound, right? Quite a bit from from mm-hmm. Netflix too. Those type of stories are are kind of like in concert with each other, right? But there's a fine line between something like that and watching like. Tyler Perry's A Jazz Man's Blues which was less mm-hmm. successful because it's less cinematic it's more soapy and melodramatic and there is such a fine line that this one kind of rides in the middle which is why I'm not overwhelmingly singing its praises I think it's good it's solid but I don't think as far as like awards play I don't think it's going to be up in the upper echelon
1: that is not the review I expected from you but I'm glad you gave it and I'm glad we got that perspective on the show. I uh you know Mike and I will still have to cover till for you guys down the line here but uh yeah that's that's a bit of a sobering review. Uh, unfortunately I got to give another sobering v- review to She Said mm. but for entirely different reasons. Well, maybe not entirely. The, the, the cinematic factor for She Said is is an interesting is an interesting perspective for me because a journalist's life is not inherently cinematic necessarily. And to put that on the big screen when you're just kind of in offices and you're making phone calls, if it's not a performance-driven piece like some of the greats have been in the past, best ensemble winning spotlight or best i mean that obviously the the all-timer with all the president's men and you got a dustin hoffman at the height of his movie stardom or robert redford at the peak of his powers delivering you know major performances even if they're with the steely resolve uh of a of a you know a powder keg type of role uh that they delivered there it's it's more of a performance piece and i would say that Yes, Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan, they 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 shine in this, but Jennifer Ailes supporting role, I'd be surprised if it got nominated. I mean, she was mm. much showier in St. Maud. And I would be surprised if this film is 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 as much of an Oscar player as we we thought at one time uh this year. So Universal made that made an interesting decision today by uh posturing Zoe Kazan in lead and Carey Mulligan in supporting and perhaps that's a a chance with some slight you know category fraud involved right. to get themselves a performance nomination and therefore hopefully be a player across the card i mean at least Till has the performance in it right. to 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 be the player and that's solidified I, they're still trying to find it i would say and she said uh, over at universal so i was i was a little let down by how this played out uh, as a journalist procedural Mm. in terms of she said, comparing it to the procedurals of all the president's men in spotlight. Now I'm probably disingenuous or I'm probably someone who doesn't understand, you know, the procedure of journalism, because if I think that's how it played out in all the president's men, no matter how many times I've read the novel, it's probably not true. Right. I mean, it's, right. They, they build those movies, spotlight all the president's men. They build those films to a crescendo, a narrative crescendo and a dramatic conclusion like we've never seen before. And it's different pacing from Alan J. Pakula or certainly from spotlight. And it's a bit of an anticlimactic kind of pacing there. This is just very level-headed and honest, and, and you don't go for a roller coaster of emotions throughout it. It just it, it does its job and it conveys the emotion in an upward sort of way, and you you learn more about the case, but it's not like that. You don't have that smoking gun type of moment, and she said, right. "So that maybe I was waiting for that, and when I didn't get it." When I didn't get it in the parking garage somewhere, <laughs> then I'm right. I'm what I'm not uh, I'm not getting the genre goods delivered. But what the hell does that mean? Right. So it's a unique film that I I want to study again. But that's where I'm at. What she said: solid B grade for me.
0: Uh, did you mention a grade for for Till? I didn't, but I'm probably right in that you know lower B range, B, gotcha. B, B minus somewhere in there. Because it, again, it's it's solid, but it's not going to be this you know beating the drum for for particular for especially for uh, best picture nominations not that type of movie to me but i'm interested so, what she said though didn't you think it had to be unfortunately so undeniable at this point given the subject matter and where we are in that in that narrative the the she said uh the uh, excuse me i don't know where the industry
1: is at i really don't i don't know if they're just waiting to award a film that addresses the subject matter appropriately now we're getting women talking, which is not addressing that story, uh, that Me Too story, but it's certainly addressing the subject matter. Right. Uh, we're going to get other films this year that are going to attack these issues head on. Yeah. I wonder if we now tilt towards those those other films and certainly women talking being being a major player. So, And Tar, Tar is going to address the same subject matter from the opposite side, right. but the critique is no less pointed. So... I'm guessing that's where the Academy is going to look now uh, in terms of wanting to if they want to make a statement, that's where they're going to turn. She said does its job and and it'll make that statement on a popular level. And I hope enough people see the film and and enjoy the film because it it is an enjoyable film. It does pack a lot of goods. Uh, it just doesn't have the crescendo or the third act crescendo that I thought it would. For sure. And uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess we know he's guilty. Maybe you can't rip that from the headlines this soon afterwards because you know the story. You know he's guilty. That's not what it's about. Yeah. It's more about the uh, the characters. So that's where I'm at with. Uh, she said I did want to leave on on a couple of notes. Number one, Triangle of Sadness. I need to rewatch it. I I was 10 beers in, 9 beers in, <laughs> very foggy. I still enjoyed parts of it, but I felt like every scene was like 5 minutes too long. They could have cut forty-five minutes without cutting any of the plot points for me. That's my review of Triangle of Sadness. Even though I liked a lot of the stuff, it's a lot. It's funny. There's there's moments of 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 hilarity right. in Triangle of Sadness, and the audience was going nuts in my theater. What was your experience there?
0: Yeah, definitely the the crowd was enjoying it more than me. So maybe you and I are kindred spirits on this one mm. a little bit. I uh, when I <laughs> I feel like because this is again a, a movie that puts out like. Act one, Act two, Act three, or what chapters? However, it was done that way, and I would say I enjoyed the first and the third ones more. Like if 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 the movie was heading towards its conclusion by the end of two, I'm probably having a much lower grade than I am now. I thought the third kind of saved it in terms of uh, adding extra layers to the themes and driving certain points home um, with the kind of like the the balance of nature. Uh, ending that mm. they kind of do here and I but i think that all the the hoopla all the credit all the reactions kind of go in the second one which turned me off a little bit because it's like all right we're gonna watch excessive vomiting and uh <laughs> heavy-handed socialism versus capitalism stuff and and right and so that kind of made me you know, turn off a little bit and especially like the Woody Harrelson role, even though I love Woody Harrelson always, no matter what, but his character is so on the nose and so it hits you over the head with the messaging of this film that it it did kind of set me back a little bit. And that's why I'm actually happy how, again, how this ended where it kind of flips it on its ear, gets Harrelson out of the way and, and, and kind of moves in with some of the other characters uh fighting that kind of upstairs downstairs that was on the boat that uh you know gets evened out when you're when you're shipwrecked there so um (laughs) but yeah i i really liked how it started i thought it was very funny and i liked how it developed with the with the model relationship there Uh, i really enjoyed a lot of that stuff but yeah i i think it's 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 pretty preachy but it's also fun so it's a tough balance and i agree it's it's (laughs) way too long it, I, I wrote down it's an endurance test as much as it is a commentary on societal dynamics. So mm. I take that for what it is where it's like it shouldn't feel like that. It definitely felt long, which is something I couldn't say about some of maybe the more successful movies I watched at mm-hmm. New York Film Festival.
1: Well, somewhere under the same moon with a nine-beard differential, <laughs> we came up with a similar review of Triangle of Sadness. You don't know what my life's like, we Mike.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, we did sit in the same room for Corsage. It's true, I did. I did like this movie seemingly more than you. Yes, but, but that, that I, was maybe to be expected,
0: I, Mike. Come on, you. you, you,
1: you, I'm you fe-fe- fe-fe- yeah, I'm a fifi man. Yeah, yeah. You're a fancy boy. And I get it. I'm crushing hard on Vicky Creeps in that movie oh, and yeah. my god does she deliver a, a wonderful performance and my god was she you know two feet away from us yeah. so that was she was so gorgeous and you know she's t- just dancing in the movie and it's 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 incredible to, to, to music that's contemporary I can't stop listening to that Camille song mm. I can't stop listening to that Soap and Skin Italy song uh, I just I probably am that song uh, in, in very many ways being as Italian as I am or at least that's what I think <laughs> Yeah. I Hope that song doesn't mean something dirty or weird, but I don't know who cares. I'm very literal when my, when it comes to my music, so I've been listening to those songs forever. I've been thinking about this mo- movie for a while since we saw it. Mm. Some of the best scenes of the year was my review, and you actually mentioned to me at PJ Clark's, which is our final review of today's episode. <laughs> but you mentioned to me that, like, this is a moments movie, it is. And I wonder if some of those moments have been lingering in your brain as well.
0: Well, yes, but also good and bad, right? Because this movie okay. is very meandering, uh, as, oh our, my God. as our uh, our, buddy Matt Neglia said with uh, his review. She for... is
1: literally on a horse meandering for long <laughs>
0: scenes. Yes. You're right. Yeah. And, and, and the story is... It has to be. It's messy and it has to be. I think I said that to you after we watched it where it's like her life is messy. Her brain is messy. Uh, the way uh, societal pressures on her position and going counter to who she is as a human being makes her life inherently messy. Uh, especially being a mother who maybe shouldn't be. Uh, that's up for debate too uh, given her personality. But at that time, obviously, it's a its a very different feeling Uh, And the suffocation that she feels at times and the restrictions you feel and everything else. So there is a lot to like. And she is incredibly captivating and mesmerizing at times. You can't take your eyes off her because you don't know what is going to happen next. And that's part of the appeal of the, the meandering. But it's also a hindrance at times where you're like, I have no idea where this story is going or what maybe some of the takeaways should be at times, too. So. And, and and you and I both, when the movie ends, not to spoil anything, but we just <laughs> – even though it's historical fiction, um, we both looked at each other and went, wait, what?
1: <laughs> what just How happened? badly did – yeah, some of these Q&As, man, they are just so bizarre Like, because you get the first question up there and it's just like – Oh how how did you enjoy shooting the film in natural light and what, what did the, breathe you breathed you breathed actual oxygen <laughs> right during the performance of the film how did this affect your performance and what does it mean to you and, and you know the, the I'm sitting there like excuse me <laughs> what the f- <laughs> that just happened yeah. what happened there yeah. what could somebody could you, you know, like explain that because that's not what happened in
0: history yeah <laughs> Or what are you trying to say? Because you're missing 20 years of her life here. What are you trying to do with this uh, particular record? Yeah. So we're just like I, I. don't know. I don't know what just happened. It seemed like are we are we leaning into uh, the born identity years that she had in her last? Like, is she a spy? Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> but I mean, I get it now. I get. I you know you think about the metaphor of it all. It's not a, a hard one to decipher. But you're 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 coming off that mo- whole movie and you're like what the hell yeah just happened yeah
0: yeah I, I and again it adds to the messiness right it adds to the mystique <laughs> of this character and this movie and everything else that you know yeah it, it, like they led that like the the introduction to this movie Vicki crepes literally said you don't know what you're in for and she was right so you know but all i know is yes she is uh very good in the movie even though not a lot of people will be beating the drum for her to be awarded in in any kind of way i don't think and i don't think corsage as a movie is successful enough to be lingering into the international feature conversation so yeah we'll we'll see how this (laughs) lasts over time but yeah it's 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 all over the place, but sometimes to a, the positive and sometimes to the negative, which is why it's a movie that's hard to recommend. But mm-hmm. you can you have things that you can take away from the movie, which makes it ultimately probably successful in the creator's eyes.
1: Well, then again, in terms of the Oscar punditry, I can't ignore the costumes. I can't ignore the production design. True, all those sets, real and and then her performance is there. I mean, even though I doubt in this field she's going to get the nom, I don't think at enough people are going to see it. You know, right? So we'll see how that goes. But if you told me, if you told me that costumes, maybe not makeup and hair, but costumes and international feature, it wouldn't shock me. Beyond no, all I belief. guess not. But yeah, yeah.
0: Although they Probably they not, really though. played the uh, the castles, the production design, uh, and a lot of that stuff is. I don't know if they go for historical accuracy as much, but they definitely said in the Q&A that they weren't caring about that stuff as much. So I wonder Mm. if they will get dinged slightly for maybe some of the historical accuracy stuff, because that's what these departments do, right? So Right. (laughs) They shouldn't have mentioned that. What are you going to do? I know. Well,
1: we got to finish with – I mean, I've been delaying – I don't know why I keep delaying this. Probably should have put it front and center, but (laughs) – I need to know which of the three burgers <laughs> you had the mini burger trio. I did. You had the blue, the barbecue blue cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. You had the Clark burger, which is tomato and onion with cheese. And you had the Cadillac burger, which is the bacon, tomato, and onion with cheese. Correct. Which was your favorite? I have to know.
0: As I said to you at the time, anything with kind of the a, uh, a caramelized onion or some kind of just onions done right always just makes mm. a burger just sing. So I would say that I'm a is convert. that is probably it with the Clark one there. Um, but the barbecue very flavorful on top of it. So you'd be you but that's the you think the man would be the like bacon would uh, take over for anything. But I think uh, mm-hmm. your little bacon bits in the mac and cheese was actually probably a better oh. addition than what. It was there, but it's you can't go wrong. Is like the the total of that because that's why I did the three burgers because get all. I'm in flavor country, right? I'm I'm there. I'm just gathering <laughs> flavor town. I'm just am just grabbing all the little towns of flavor and just shoving them all in my mouth.
1: <laughs> it was it was one of the better meals I've had in a long time. It was they solid. sat us like in the corner. It was a very intimate little booth yeah. where the both of us were. You made a joke about. Uh, sitting on the
0: same side. Yeah, a couple next to us like was sitting in the same puma. My
1: face got red. <laughs> I went a hee
0: No. I think No no, no. Mike, look, I think we you both... were feeling the vibes because you <laughs> I was you were seeing that, I... you're like, no, 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 and, and blushing. But then a few minutes later you're like you want to split this key lime pie, and we went basically like we, as close we, to Lady in the Tramp as or <laughs> when Harry met Sally as any kind of PJ Clark. Who
1: experience. did that? Was that me or was that you? I, we didn't break eye contact during that entire <laughs> slice of pie. I, know. I didn't. I didn't know who's who orchestrated that. Listen,
0: it was the crumb, crumb, <laughs> uh, you know, crust that was epic. You know that was just locking it in for everybody. I, I don't. I don't begrudge any feelings that were uh, messier or mixed in that uh, whole thing. So wonderful job by you. Instant diabetes. And, a great conversation right. about uh, a movie. <laughs> it reminded me of my my misbegotten youth of you know going to diners after movie. But we did the we did the New York experience. We did the bougie. Oh, we did the high yeah, end. The yeah, bougiest. Yeah.
1: And, and I got the bougiest burger. I blind bought a burger that I didn't even know what was on it, right. Andrew. I was just, this place. And you probably still don't because so, you
0: ate it so fast. <laughs> I
1: ate it very fast. I did not, yeah, I did not waste any time. I was trying to get the She Said premiere and I wanted to have enough. But, and then you told me like midway through the burger, I was like, wait, you got till 9 I was like, oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> Immediately ordered the key lime pie. I got time for it anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I ordered the New Yorker, which had this. Green peppercorn, I'm not going to say the French phrase, but basically it amounts to cream sauce. Yeah. And I didn't know what this was, and I even got the burger, and I didn't know what was on the bottom of the burger, and I said it to you. I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's delicious. <laughs> and then I'm not a big onion guy in my life, but the star of this burger wasn't the tomato. It was the red onion. Mm. There was a circle of red onion. Yeah. It was the tastiest thing on the burger. Oh, Yeah. It was incredible. So you're absolutely right. It made the burgers sing. I think I sang. I'm sure, I hope you <laughs> sang on the way home. Absolutely. Uh, you went home a little earlier than me. It was one of those. Uh, it was one of those magical meals and magical nights that we had after White Noise, despite a weird film. It was. It was a lot of fun. So I, I thank you, my friend, for that, and I thank you certainly for coming on today. We'll finally get to the outro, but this was long overdue, certainly, to for Mike and Andrew. Uh, uh, Oscar race checkpoint that we haven't done in a while, but please tell us what you have coming up next on what's on Netflix. And certainly what's coming up next on your new podcast, recent activity.
0: Yeah. For, uh, the what's on Netflix. Of course, all my reviews are on what's on netflix.com. So check out all those, uh, just search my name. I would say I have, uh, my review for the school for good and evil, uh, will be out, by the time this recording is coming out. So go check that out. Uh, that movie is coming out on Wednesday. So definitely check that out. For recent activity, uh, we have, you know, of course, we can't be as quick to the punch as a MMO, but we have our review of how Hall- uh, Halloween Ends on top of going into more uh, of our Halloween horror time of year stuff with uh, The Midnight Club. Uh, the Watcher, yes. like all the Netflix miniseries stuff. Good. And, of course, I think I I, I toss in the uh, the School for Good and Evil on that one and everything else. But, yeah, we'll definitely have more of the, the Halloween horror stuff looking at, uh, you know, uh, I've already watched Wendell and Wild. We did not uh kind of mention that in this episode. Oh, we episode. didn't do review that today. Um, but, okay, but we'll, we'll say,
1: tease it. Tease it for your show. Yeah. yeah.
0: It has the goods. Uh, I will be we'll be doing that um uh, on there. So, you know- uh for i would say this conversation of everything i think it will be in that animated feature conversation all that stuff so so keep oh, that in terrific. mind henry selick still on his game um so appreciate him appreciate the the wacky stop motion animation shout out to stop motion animation being uh, front and center for <laughs> netflix and the world uh, at this point that's great um so we'll be doing that uh of course you know and and you know all the oscar stuff will will we'll tackle as it comes along especially uh any of the streaming ones uh of course because i i'm in a constant battle where i have to you know my co-hosts are less bougie like you and i so maybe uh, you <laughs> have we have to do the home and home you have to come on recent activity and kind of sort uh myself out and and my co-host there with some <laughs> of these um because we got some of the the heavy hitters probably coming up and of course you know Getting into December and trying desperately to ignore Avatar, even though I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you can, yeah, you can't, yeah, you
0: can't. Nobody can. I know, and James Cameron has been right all along,
1: and we just all been ignoring him. But yeah, can't wait, uh, can't wait for all the stuff you got coming. That's that's uh, that's a lot of fun, and uh, big fan of the podcast. So, words of wisdom, listen to recent activity, go read. Uh, what's on netflix.com for everybody's writing but certainly yeah. casey um, moore for your own job. really awesome site i've been going there i don't even know i go there for years and years and years <laughs> and then i just wind up on there uh-huh. right like it's not like a no, sorry guys but it's not like a bookmark site for me but i always find myself on there even before you wrote now i bookmark it etc yeah but, uh Yeah, so that's that's really cool that you're you're uh, a paid employee now. I know of uh, of what's on Netflix. Uh, That's that's awesome. Congratulations on that. Words of wisdom: Follow Andrew Morgan everywhere, and certainly look out for all of his good work. As for MMO, Mike and I are already prepping for the Scaries, our annual horror movie award show it might be such a great year in horror andrew oh yeah and you've done a couple recent specials on this yeah uh on recent activity that we may just stick to this year in horror i've been kind of needling mike about it like do we do a subgenre? this i might have an hour's worth of content just on this year of horror i've seen like 40 movies already for christ's sake so might be there so we're going to do the scaries probably focusing on 2022 movies for sure for sure and then we're going to do an oscars betting special with our mutual friend yours and mine and everybody's hopefully that is the duke of bettingham himself a name you (laughs) yeah yeah you coined the Duke of Bettingham. of course that's David Long from the Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Saw so it. I I got to pitch him because uh, he's the best. He's he's a great dude. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk to him again. Plus, a lot more Oscar profile reviews and Oscar race checkpoints. Yada yada yada. You guys know what you get from us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar everywhere on social media at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Uh, do please rate and review both Mike, Mike, and Oscar and Recent Activity wherever you get your podcast. Hit that five-star button. Hit the like button. Uh, th- those reviews really help us grow organically, certain with all, certainly with all the algorithms. They're a big help. Hit the subscribe button as well, please. And, you know, if you want to do some old-school marketing, which we know is the best of all, word of mouth, please tell your family and friends about Mike, Mike, and Oscar and recent activity, and we thank you all for doing that. Andrew, uh, really appreciate it today.
0: Thanks again absolutely my friend and shout out to uh mike one who i agree with his sentiments of the post pj clark's uh, experience of not knowing how people don't fall asleep or having to drudge themselves to a subway stop it was excruciating uh after filling yourself with diabetes so those are also words of wisdom maybe slow your roll when you go out to dinner with mike uh, i will hear none mike. of this
1: yeah. I will hear none of this I was fine I was flying in there Like a hummingbird And you know why I got I I got the Espresso That Espresso Saved my life It was a double Espresso Oh Film Lit Lincoln Center I love you I forgot you did that I've done that before (laughs) But the Espresso For Oh Just perfect Thank you Uh (laughs) Anyway, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Which Mike are you again? We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar making award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you guys next time. See ya.